Well, I want to do a shameless plug for next weekend's uh, message. We start a brand new series next weekend called A Piece of the Pie. You get a card when you go out, and I hope you'll hand it to someone, invite them to come. For the next three weekends, we are going to talk about how to get financially secure God's way. With so many economic issues going on, we want to help you discover God's way to experience uh, financial blessing and success. So don't miss it. And uh, we have a pie-eating contest here next weekend uh, in each of the services. And you won't want to miss the celebrity pie-eaters, all right? It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be a great series. And I'm going to be do some cooking for you next weekend as well. So it'll be a lot of fun, all right? Uh, back to this weekend, the final weekend of our series, uh, Sex, Lies, and Truth. And I was going to aim it at the guys, but I decided to uh, make it a broader message. We're going to apply it to men and women, so... I want you all to just uh, pay attention and, and focus in on this. I think you'll find it to be an encouragement to you. I'm going to ask that you not leave uh, unless you absolutely have to this morning. Because at the end of the service, we've got a great time of worship. And I want you to enjoy that time together. Let's pray. Lord, uh, in this final message, I do ask that you would speak to us and help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you right now. Not think about somebody else's issues, but think about the struggles that we have. In Christ's name, amen. I don't know if you've ever been ambushed before, but uh, I was ambushed at the age of 20 by a prostitute who came into a uh, station where I was serving uh, in an EMS company. I was an EMT working with paramedics in central Michigan, and I was on a 24-hour shift and we weren't supposed to get visitors in there. It was not allowed. But because the supervisor was a customer of hers, uh, he allowed her to come in. And all the guys happened to be out of the room that evening. And I was just sitting there watching television when she approached me from behind. And I knew something was going on because I had hair back then and it was standing on end. And... Uh, she came over to the couch where I was sitting and she draped herself over the couch and she made her move. Now, I don't know if you've ever been ambushed by temptation, but I suspect all of us have. Maybe not like that, but we've all had those moments where we're minding our own business, we're on the internet, and that pop-up ad came up for porn and we were so tempted to click. Or maybe you're channel surfing, and as you're channel surfing, you got to a station that you thought was scrambled, but it was unscrambled, and there was this scene that you longed to keep looking at. Or maybe it's a person in your life, somebody you met at the gym, or at work, or in the neighborhood, or some other place, and there's a kind of a chemistry between the two of you, and it's gotten unhealthy, and the temptation is to take it where it should not go. All of us, at some point in our lives, experience the ambush of temptation. All of us are being stalked by the enemy. And none of us are exempt from it. None of us are. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. It doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female. It doesn't matter if you are an ungodly person or if you are a godly person. Temptation is going to come knocking at your door like it did Joseph, one of the most godly human beings in the Bible. Remember, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his wicked brothers. And a high official of Pharaoh in Egypt, a man by the name of Potiphar, bought and made Joseph his 
slave. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, if you want to follow along with me today. First book of the Bible, chapter 39, and verse 2. says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. So Potiphar noticed that Joseph was a brilliant manager, and he also noticed that God's hand was with Joseph, and therefore Potiphar was being blessed in many ways. But Potiphar was not the only person who noticed Joseph. Potiphar's wife also noticed Joseph. We pick up the story again in verse 6. It says, Joseph was a very handsome and bald, well-built young man. Well, that's my paraphrase. Anyway, it really goes like this. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away. She really had a grip. But he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that he was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard the scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. The Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. And then Potiphar comes home, gets angry, and has Joseph put into prison. You know, when we look at this story, we discover some of the ways that temptation attacks us. Some of the ways that the enemy tries to get at us. And I'm talking here specifically about sexual temptation. For instance, you might want to jot this down. Temptation is very patient. And it's always looking for the right opportunity to attack our lives. She patiently waited day after day until one day when the opportunity was right. And she launched her attack on Joseph. That's how Satan works in our lives. That's how temptation works. It waits for that one day when the timing is just right to attack us. Peter likens temptation to a roaring lion. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, 
he says this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, or temptation. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, lions are not the most efficient hunters. They don't have the build to run at high speeds for long distances. So they have to sneak up on their prey, come at them from an angle, rarely attacking from the front. They'll sneak up on their prey, and at the right moment, just when they're in close proximity, they will burst out in amazing speed, come up from behind or beside the animal, leap on top of them, and then take them down. They grab the throat, suffocate it, or they bite the back of the neck and sever the spine. It's vicious, it's cruel, it's deathly. And I want you to keep that picture in your mind because that's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to grab you by the throat, he wants to grab our lives, he wants to sever our our connection to God and take us down. And he is so good at it, he's so powerful at it. And one of the best opportunities for Satan to attack our lives is when we are in the midst of feeling secure and successful. Jot this down. Temptation often strikes when we are most secure and successful. Joseph, despite his bad circumstances, has become successful in Potiphar's home. Did you hear it? He had authority over everyone and everything in the home except for Potiphar's wife. So he had really ascended a high position and it would have been easy for him to have been filled with pride, to feel like he had made the best out of a bad circumstance. He pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. He could do it. He, this Hebrew was going to show these Egyptians what it's really like to manage you know, a household. And, and he was just going to do a great job and receive all kinds of accolades. But Joseph knew that his success was given to him by God. And what happens to us sometimes is we'll experience a physical accomplishment. We'll have an emotional high after an exciting time in our lives. We'll even have a great spiritual victory. And what happens to us is we become filled with pride. All of a sudden we feel like we we have a hold of life's tail. That we're in control and... I really don't need to spend time with God right now. I don't really need to be in prayer. I don't really need to be in the Word. I don't really need to go to weekend worship services. Things are going so well for me. I'm okay. I'm in control. And that's when Satan begins to salivate. That's when temptation gets in its crouched position and is ready to attack us because we're defenseless. We're trusting in ourselves. Our pride is at work. And throughout the entire Bible and all of history to this very day, there are examples of men and women who God has blessed and God has used, who in a moment of pride, in a moment of thinking that they are now in control, have fallen mightily. David and Bathsheba, remember that? Peter and his great confession and then his denial of Jesus. And we can think of of celebrities, we can think of of people in the ministry who we've all heard about, read about, known about, who, you know, were very famous and very successful, and then, boom, they crashed because they got their eyes on themselves and took their eyes off of God. Where are your eyes right now? Are your, are your shields up? Are you in a good place? Are you trusting God? Or are you out there right now 
doing it on your own, thinking that you have the capacity. It's a dangerous place to be because, listen to this, temptation is relentless. It doesn't come at us just once. It comes at us and keeps coming at us. It doesn't give up. It won't leave us alone. Day after day after day, it says, she just kept at Joseph, trying to wear him down. Even Jesus, who experienced temptation, experienced it not once, but again and again. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You and I live in a culture where we are being peppered by sexual temptation every single day of our lives. It comes at us in conversation, and predominantly it comes at us through media, through the internet, through television, through movies, you name it, through music, through music videos. It's just there pecking away at our lives. And the danger is that we begin to compromise with it. We get kind of used to it and Pretty soon we don't see it as being wrong because we're submerged in it and we become become comfortable with it. I read recently that approximately 52% of singles and and 36% of marrieds say they have no issue with reading material or looking at material that has uh, sexually explicit images and nudity. Then I read that approximately 67% of singles and 45% of marrieds had no issue watching movies that feature nudity and sexual scenes. And what worries me about it is that there are many Christians in that percentage, people who call themselves followers of Christ who have really dumbed down their conscience and their morality to think that because it's an art form and because it's all the world has to offer, we have no choice but to watch it. And of course, we don't watch it for the sex. We watch it because we like good drama. We like a good story. We like the creativity of it. And that may be true. That may be what you're really looking for. But here's the reality. When those images are shown, when those words are spoken, when those scenes happen, it makes its way into our brains and it stays there. And our brains crave it and want more of it. And it has to work itself out of our system. It's not just going to stay there and become neutral. It's going to affect the way we think and look at life at the opposite sex. And so, especially for our our young adults, I mean, they are barraged constantly by sexual temptation everywhere they turn. And it becomes very much a part of their lives and so influential in how they feel about themselves and how they feel about each other. And of course, you know, technology makes sexual temptation available in many varieties and forms. And one of the ways that we're discovering in social science that uh, sexuality is making its way into people's lives and ruining marriages is through Facebook. Now, I'm not against Facebook. I don't Facebook, and I won't Facebook, but uh, just because I just don't have time for that. But uh, I, So I'm not against it, because I'm going to imagine a great percentage of you Facebook. So there's nothing wrong with Facebooking, like there's nothing wrong with sex within the right boundaries. 
But just like sex can be perverted, something like Facebook can be perverted. And here's the way it's being perverted right now. And there's an article I just read recently by a secular uh, authority, a therapist, not a Christian that I know of, who's discussing the possibilities now on Facebook to connect with old flames. You can look up people that you've known before. If they're on Facebook, you can connect with them. And what's happening all across America right now is that... uh, Married people are reconnecting with old boyfriends, old girlfriends, old, you know, someone you, that you were engaged to at one time, some of you dated in high school, some of you dated in college, somebody you hooked up with, and they're beginning to chat. And in the midst of the chatting, what's happening is intimacy is being stirred up again because there was a romance there at one time. It's like lighting that match again. And for those of you who are married, you know that you got to work hard at keeping a marriage going. It's really easy in a marriage, isn't it, to, to get kind of uh, lazy and lose the mystery and the unpredictability of it. And what happens through something like Facebook or some other kind of social website is when we start connecting with that person in the past, all of a sudden, mysteries introduced again and unpredictability and excitement. And we romanticize what used to be. And we forget about the, the negative things there. And pretty soon we're pulled away from our partner. And the next thing you know, we're in an emotional affair that then leads to a physical affair. I spoke this message last evening, and I had some folks come up to me and verify its effect on their own lives. So I'm here to say to you right now that if you're married, especially, and you're engaged on Facebook with somebody that is an old fling, somebody that's an old flame, stop it now. Unfriend them, or whatever it is you have to do, all right? But just stop it. And I don't care if you hurt their feelings. Your marriage, your family is far more valuable than rekindling an old fantasy. Let it go. It's a dangerous place to go. And Satan's out there and he's got his bait and he's waiting to reel you in. Are we all clear on that? Well, yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Tell me how to run my Facebook. I'll tell you something. The enemy's crouching, all right? Resisting temptation, resisting temptation can create negative consequences in your life. Let's be honest about that. Joseph resisted, and what was his reward? Go to jail, right? Go to jail. Do not collect $200, all right? And that's where he went, and he suffered for that. And sometimes when you take a stand against temptation, refuse to get into it, you end up paying a price for it. And I think about our young adults. And I think about the tremendous pressure our junior high and our high schoolers are under to be sexually active by their peers. It's like you're a geek, a weirdo, if you haven't had sex by the time you're 16 years of age. It's kind of expected. It's like you're looked at as though something strange about you if you've not engaged in some kind of sexual activity. I mean, it's the pressure to make it with somebody is unbelievable in their lives. And it takes a lot of guts for them to stand up against it and hold on to their virginity and wait for that right person that God's going to bring in their life. For some of us, it might cost us our advancement at work. It might cost a sales deal. It may cost a friendship. To stay pure and to avoid sexual temptation. It might mean that you're not part of the in crowd. You're not invited to the parties because of that. 
then that's okay. Then that's okay. Better to be pure and pleasing to God than to compromise the temptation and suffer the devastating consequences, which then takes me to a corner I want to turn. I want to talk about how we overcome the onslaught of temptation in our lives now that we know how it comes at us. And the first way we overcome it is by coming to grips with the consequences of sin. Coming to grips with the consequences of sin, the consequences of our actions. What if Joseph had given in? What if he had compromised with Mrs. Potiphar? Can you imagine how it ruined his relationship with God, his witness in the household? He would probably never ascended to his position there in Egypt to save his family during the famine. It would have been a whole disaster. You know, sometimes what happens to us is we respond to our impulses, to what feels good in the moment. And what I've got to learn to do, what you and I have to learn to do is get beyond that with our minds and realize that if I click the mouse, if I meet up with this person... If I read this magazine, if I surf that channel, if I head in this emotional direction, what will it spell for me in the end? There's some questions you need to ask yourself. For instance, one of the questions, what will it mean in terms of my relationship to God? If I follow through on this, how is it going to affect my relationship to God? Another question to ask, if, if I'm married, what effect is this going to have on my spouse, on my children? Getting addicted to porn, going on the site playing the secret life, rendezvousing with this person, chatting with this person. What effect is it going to have? If there's somebody right now, let's say on Facebook, that you're chatting with that you wouldn't want your spouse to know about, you have no business chatting with them. If you're keeping certain things secret on there, that's already a little alarm that goes, hello, you're in trouble, you're already playing the secret game. A third question you might want to ask yourself is, what will it mean to my witness as a follower of Jesus? Another question to ask yourself is, what will it do to my career? Another question to ask is, what could the health risks be? Sexually transmitted disease, AIDS, etc. Another question to ask would be, how much time and money am I going to have to spend trying to cover this thing up? And a last question that people don't think about is, am I ready for the blackmail? When I finally realize that this is a bad place to be and I cut it off, am I ready for that person or that circumstance to present itself to my spouse and blackmail me? And folks, I as a pastor, but then also in friendships, Marsh and I have, have lived with the pain of watching people we love not think beyond the moment. And suffer the consequences in their lives, in their marriage, their children, and their grandchildren. And it's devastating. It's devastating. And if they'd only thought it through all the way, it may have caused them to back them and say, that's not worth it. Some of you right now are playing with temptation. You're toying with it. Stop and ask yourself, do you want to really pay the price for a night of pleasure, for a moment of pleasure? Do you want to pay a lifetime for it? James chapter 1 says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation 
Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's encouragement, isn't it? God blesses those who endure it. Remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, finish it with me, it gives birth to death. Emotional death, spiritual death, and even sometimes physical death. So count the cost. Secondly, keep your minds and your hearts focused on Jesus. See, that's where we get in trouble. Our minds, our thinking gets focused on an image. Our thinking gets focused on a person. Our thinking gets focused on a scenario, on sensations, which are all lies that are here today and then gone just as quick. So I need to keep my my eyes on truth. And who is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. And his word is truth. How do I do that? Prayer. Maintaining a healthy prayer life. Young people maintaining a healthy prayer life. When I spend time in prayer, I'm amazed how often God will, will just speak to me in my prayer time and show me areas of my life I need to tighten up because it's getting too loose. It's, it's not good. It's not healthy. Or he'll show me situations I need to avoid. He just keeps me accountable. When I'm in his word, the Bible says, thy word, if I hid my heart, that I might not sin against thee, his word becomes a reminder to me of, of, of the stands that I need to take, of the blessing that God wants to give me if I'll be faithful to him. It warns me. It corrects me. It guides me. And then we, we need community. We need to be involved with a group of people like in a life group who we can be accountable to and pray with and be prayed for. If you're not in a life group, I'd encourage you to get in one. You need that accountability. We need to be in weekend worship services. In fact, if you have your worship folder, I want you to pull it out because we've created some next steps for you out of this series. And I think some of these are, well, they all are very good, but a few of these you really got to wake up to if you're parents. For instance, we have one uh, called Bringing Up Boys that's coming up. And uh, it's going to feature some teaching from Dr. James Dobson. It's Sundays from 10.50 to noon. All the instructions are there. Man, if I was a, if I was a father with a young boy, I'd be going to that. How about lies uh, young people and their parents believe? We've got a counselor that's going to be speaking at that session, a staff member, Compass parents sharing their stories. If I had a young person, a, a young adult, I'd be going to that. We've got our life help counseling ministries for people who are really struggling with certain issues, especially in the area of sexual addiction. We've got our Celebrate Recovery ministry and these two books that I highly recommend. Those are next steps that you can take out of this series to strengthen your life, strengthen your family, get help, and overcome. It's so important that we recognize the Lord's presence in order to overcome temptation. David said, yea, though I walk the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? You are with me. I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 13. We read these words. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Here's what I want you to catch. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I'll have no fear. What can mere people do to me? I need to practice the presence of God every day in my life. When I'm on the computer, he's looking over my shoulder. When I'm surfing the television, he's watching it with me. 
when I'm at the movies, he's going to the movies with me. He's seeing the same image that I'm seeing. He's with me in every conversation. He's with me at work. He's with me at the gym. He knows my every thought. And I, I don't want to treat God like a bully who's always looking over my shoulder and I can't ever have any fun because he's always there. I, I want to look at God as a blessing that he's in my life. He's there to help me and guide me and encourage me. And then finally, the, probably the most important piece of advice I'm going to share with you, run for the hills. <laughs> Joseph, pow, took off, right? Ran. Some of you right now need to run from the temptation that's crouching at your door. You need to get out of there now. Don't stay there. That's foolish. Don't toy with it. Don't contemplate it. Don't spend your time there. Get out of that situation now. So there I sat on the couch. I'm newly married, not quite married for even a a year yet. And uh, this young, attractive woman has approached from behind and she leans over and she makes her move. She says, would you like to spend some time with me? And you know, in that moment, the future hung in the balance. Because if I had decided in that moment, nobody's going to know about it, the Bible tells me, be sure your sins will find you out. People would have found out. I could not have lived with the horrendous guilt and shame. I cannot imagine the effect it would have on my precious wife, Marcia, a brand new bride. I couldn't face her parents. I couldn't face my parents. I was a volunteer youth pastor. How do I go back to those kids? I would have had to step away from that. I probably never went to Bible college. Maybe I would have contracted a disease. Maybe I would have given it to my wife. And we could have never had children. And then the grandchildren that we have. What a devastating blow it could have been. Just in one moment. Decision. So what did I do? I was kind of stupid. I didn't know what else to do. I just looked at her and I said, would you like to go to church with my wife and I? That's what I said. You know, the things that come out of your mouth when you're, when it's like, huh? And you know what? The Bible also tells us that if you resist the devil, he will flee. And that was her last conversation with me. And I never, I never saw her again. In fact, I arranged for my wife and I to pick her up and she didn't show up. Surprise, surprise. But I tell you what, it was a huge test in my life. And I'm so thankful that God was gracious. But here's the thing I learned. It was my choice. And yielding to sexual temptation is always a choice. You cannot blame God for it and you cannot blame others for it. It's your choice. You can either give into it or you can turn your back against it. But it's your choice. And the question I'm asking you this morning is, what's your choice? Who is your choice? Where are you right now in terms of your relationship with God, in terms of this whole issue of sexual temptation? You swim in it. You live in it. It's the world that we are in. We have to accept that fact. But we don't have to accept the temptation. God has given you and me the means to overcome it. Would you bow your heads? If you're here today and 
you've been wrestling with sexual temptation. Maybe you've allowed it to come into your life. I want you to know that God is a forgiving, loving God. And he'll forgive you right now where you are. And why not today, here, right now, make a choice to stop the pornography. Make a choice to stop the relationship. Make a choice not to go to those places that get you in trouble. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He, our God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He'll do that for you right now. Lord, all over this worship space right now, there are people confessing sexual sin. And I ask, oh God, that you would forgive them I pray that you'd set them free. And I pray, oh God, that they would pursue those next steps that can strengthen them, encourage them. All of us, oh God, all of us need your help. None of us are exempt from temptation. It is relentless. So as we give our hearts to you, as we look to your word, as we look to you in prayer, oh God, be our strength. God, bring us, bring us into a place of living holy pleasing lies to you so you can use us help us get our eyes off the images that the world presents and our eyes on the greatest image the Lamb of God Father we want to continue to worship you this morning reorient our lives away from what the world has to offer to what you have to offer us through your son Jesus Christ would you stand with me and I ask that we don't Start leaving now, but let's continue the spirit of worship.